Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. We're coming to you from Malibu, California. Today on the show, we have a repeat offender. He's been on before and is just an amazing doctor, Dr. Ken Berry. He wrote a book called Lies My Doctor Told Me, which is amazing. And check it out on Amazon if you haven't already, because it really goes through every potential medical advice that you've been given that has been wrong and clarifies why and how and really helps you assess your health in amazing ways. And the podcast, uh, when he first joined us, is all about that. So you can go back into the archives and look for that. But today we're going to talk about some other topics. Um, But before that, just want to also put out there for people that don't know Ken, he's been practicing family medicine in rural Tennessee for over a decade. And he is just an amazing, incredible doctor. Welcome to the show again. Thanks so much for having me back. So I know your book's going really well, Lies My Doctor Told Me, and I'm so happy that uh, when I describe you to people and tell people to listen to the first podcast that we did, I say, this is a guy who has come out and admitted that he once was sort of uninformed. And, you know, you've really fallen on your sword a couple of times in videos on YouTube where you say, hey... I, 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 we didn't all know, man. We, we were taught this stuff 30, 40 years ago. We thought we knew what was up and we didn't know. And, and until you kind of started to do more investigation. And so that's why I really like you because you're one of those doctors that is still excited about the practice of medicine and, and finding out answers to unsolvable problems. Um, Absolutely. So tell us a little bit just about that before we get into keto and intermittent fasting and a bunch of other topics today. Well, I think that right now, If a doctor is practicing medicine properly and paying attention and has his ear to the track, so to speak, I think this is one of the most amazingly exciting times to practice medicine there's ever been because we've we've been through about a 60-year, almost like a dark ages in modern Western medicine, literally. And now we're, we're about to come out of that. And you know what comes after a dark age is a renaissance. And I think that that's what we're on the verge of, and it's not going to be a top-down renaissance. It's not coming from D.C. and from the American Association of whoever the hell. It's coming literally from people, uh, N equals one experiments, I tried this, you tried this, hey, 500 of us tried this, hey, 10,000 of us tried this, and look at all, look at our results. This either worked great or it worked okay or it didn't work at all. And it's it's almost like there are spontaneous medical studies bubbling to the surface that are just happening. And so obviously they don't have the rigor that a properly done placebo-controlled double-blind study would have, but they're much more powerful than many of the observational and and, and, uh, dietary studies that we've been told were gospel for the last 60 years. So I'm very excited to be practicing medicine uh, at this time. I think it's a wonderful time to be a doctor if you're attuned to what's going on. Well said. I really like that too. And it's also a hopeful message as well. And again, as people like you and other doctors move more towards kind of delving into functional medicine and getting outside the box of traditional, there are so many, like you said, I mean, even just right, the paleo primal community, right? Just the thousands of us that are on this 
train now, going back to the original, <laughs> getting, getting old school, and all of the results that are happening there. Exactly. Um, and I guess I, we should just dive right into it then. You know, speaking of which, one of the hot topics right now, for a million reasons, you know, is uh, there's, there was the Keto FX, by the time people were listening to it, it'll be a few months later, but the Keto FX Summit, which the Paleo FX CEOs decided to do an online summit talking about keto. Mark Sisson and Brad Kearns, New York Times selling, you know, best selling book, which I, I know you've read, yes. uh, called the keto reset diet and ketogenic diets for certain kinds of cancers and you know alzheimer's and damn if it is not showing up uh, the the good morning america host who had breast cancer talks about being on a ketogenic diet herself for being a breast cancer survivor so and and and, and i mean laughing a little bit but when we talk about ketogenic it's like yeah that's so old school that's super hunter gatherer right yeah, oh absolutely um, yeah so let's get into your experience with it because uh, even though on the old podcast you talked about your old self and following the old health paradigm and all of those pitfalls, but uh, how did you get more kind of interested and involved with, with keto? Well, I've been paleo primal for several years, and uh, you know it, it's almost like a natural progression to to the ketogenic diet because I feel like that as we're tumbling towards the future, we're also falling into the past. And I, I feel that very strongly that as we discover, and there, there, there were air quotes around that, rediscover these very, very old ways of living and of eating, it's, it's almost like we, obviously for us, we've discovered them for the first time. And it feels like a great discovery, even though it's really us just unearthing stuff that people took for granted and did without even thinking. You know, 20,000 years ago, nobody counted macros, yet they were somehow all keto <laughs> and, and they all had an eight pack, you know what I'm saying? But nobody had a you, macro. You mean they weren't carving it on the tree like 60%? <laughs> right, exactly. That's right. They had, they had, they were keeping up with their macros on a, on a rock and a stick. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no. And so, you know, it, it's, it's very interesting when this sort of old information comes to light again, because for so many people, it feels brand new. And so you have, you have all these uh, little chiefs, I call them, trying to set up their, their chiefdom. And it's like, oh, I'm keto, oh, I'm paleo, I'm, I'm, I'm ancestral, oh, I'm, you know, uh, super low-carb keto, oh, I'm uh, carnivore. And it's like, yeah, these are all just different blind men rubbing the same elephant and describing the same thing, but giving it a different name so that then they can maybe get a trademark or a copyright or maybe sell some whatever, fill in the blank. And that, that irritates me a little bit, but at the same time, I think that that's just kind of how our Western mind works when we're grappling with something that's new yet old, but, but also very, very beautiful and very obviously going to be very, very useful. We all want a piece of it. And I think that that speaks to what, how, you know, the, 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 the talk show host is talking keto and everybody's talking keto. And I think that's a great sign that this is not just a fad. Because you can't really be a fad if you're a million years old. <laughs> right? And yeah. so I, I think this is great evidence that this is catching and sticking in the, in the modern mind. Right. And I well, think great, great things are going to come from it. I think ultimately well, what my goal is is to see an actual bend in the epidemic curve of obesity, type 2, diabetes, and insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome. I want to bend that curve and point it back down again. That's that's my entire goal for doing this, definitely for my own patients, but also for, for as many people as I can help. And so, you know, uh, the U.S. News and World Report just came out and talked about the, the, the 40 best diets 
and the Weight Watchers died and the Jenny Craig died and and the Ornish died and I was I was thinking what the hell oh, what the f come on <laughs> those <laughs> are all so saying, drastically different also I love the best right. forty diets right there that's a joke right the best right, forty right, how about how right. about there should only be one right yeah, like exactly so. But when they started talking about the Weight Watchers diet, that really piqued my interest because the Weight Watchers diet basically came on the scene in the late 60s. And so if the Weight Watchers diet were, in fact, one of the best diets in the world, then there shouldn't have been an obesity epidemic because everybody's done Weight Watchers at one time or another. Everybody, just about. You see my point? And so if if it really were that good of a diet, there would be no obesity epidemic. And so what I'm breathlessly waiting for is for five years from now when we can actually crunch the data and come back and say yeah right there's where the ketogenic diet took off look at the curve bend look at look at the curve go start to go down right that's that's what's going to make my life uh, a happy completeness is when we have stopped the obesity and type 2 uh, diabetes epidemics in the western world in the u.s and canada in australia and the uk I mean, all these places have an epidemic of these chronic diseases, and they're caused by diet. And the ketogenic diets, slash paleo, slash ancestral, slash whatever, that's going to fix that. That is the answer. Well, and let's, uh, I want to get into the nuance too, because see, and I'm not, I'm not saying that anyone's writing about it in this way in terms of saying you can be keto and still eat grains, but still, here's the thing. You could look at the macros of keto and still be introducing foods that are not for you. So that's why the paleo primal ancestral version of keto and also the way to get into it, which, you know, and let's talk about that. And I'm sure no book on keto suggests jumping right into it. And you might have to, if there's a serious health condition of which would require keto to help you. Yeah. Then maybe you need to go immediate into it without thinking about the adverse side effects. But the idea is you got to get on the train and get fat adapted. And like you said earlier, it's so true that it's a natural progression because once you get down the paleo primal way, you clean it out, you get fat adapted, then you kind of, you do dip down and you go, oh, this feels really good. And you want to be in and out of that state. So can you just speak on the like, you know, how other doctors or people out there, not necessarily doctors, but people talking about keto why the paleo primal part of it is essential. Do you know what I mean? Is, I hope I'm making sense. Yeah, I do. Yeah, no, I, I understand exactly what you mean. And so, and, and there probably is a subset of new newcomers to the ketogenic diet who didn't start out uh, paleo or ancestral. They just heard about it on good morning America, or they, they saw it on Facebook and thought they'd give it a try. <clears throat> and for that person, a macro is just a macro, right? And so they could they could definitely be getting their twenty carbs grams of carbs a day from whole wheat grain and think that they're doing a very good thing for their body, in which in reality would not be that great at all. And so that definitely could happen. So I think that it's it's best to come at the ketogenic diet from a paleo ancestral pathway because you learn as you go. And that's one thing I stress in all my YouTube videos is you know this is this is easy. And it's cheap. You don't have to spend a lot of money, and you don't have to have a PhD. The human body knows exactly what to do with this food once you give it the right food. It knows what to do. It, it's been doing it for hundreds of thousands of years. But for somebody, you know, and human beings, we always try to overthink things. You know, I mean, sometimes I'm I'm envious of my dog because he just eats meat. <laughs> he's like, he's that's it. You know, he never thinks. I wonder if I should eat some whole grains. Only if I. And I doubt he's stressing out about a mortgage either. <laughs> Right. He's not stressing. He's happy. He just eats what he wants. He poops where he wants. You know, life is good. (laughs) 
And so, so I just, I'm afraid that there are some newcomers who are not versed in the paleo way of thinking or the primal way of thinking. And therefore it's going to, they're going to make some mistakes along the way. But yet another thing I'm always talking about is, you know, this, you don't have to be perfect because even 20,000 years ago, our ancestors every year or two would come upon a honey tree. And what do you think they did? Went to town on it. They yeah. went to town and laid around in a sugar coma for two days. But that happened every year or two, not every day or two. Right. And so it's okay to make a mistake. And may, as long as you're still learning and you're learning from those mistakes, it's only going to get better and better. Yeah. And by the way, that, you know, that was probably like a really great high for them back then. Like in the absence oh, of any drugs, like yes. they had a glucose blowout and then they, they felt like crap the next day for sure. So they were like, all right, we got to be careful. <laughs> but, you know, for sure, like that would have been, again, an occasional thing, right? Again, you know, blueberries right. were abundant yeah. year round. They didn't. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, that's kind of our, our feasts kind of follow that pattern. We, we have a lot of feasting towards the end of the year and that mimics the fall and the fruit being ripe. And that's, you know, trying to gain five or 10 pounds for the winter. And that's something I tell my patients in the clinic all the time, you know, like, well, I don't understand. I mean, fruit's so natural. It's, it's organic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, that's right. It, it sure is. And we've used it for hundreds of thousands of years to gain five or 10 pounds before the winter. And so if you'd like to gain five or 10 pounds, then keep eating lots of fruit because that's what it's for. But it, it but that's an interesting thing though, because that is a common objection or confusion. I mean, I remember my father when he became pre-diabetic and he's like, how, and he was a pretty healthy, like, you know, actually compared to most people, like he would, you know, be a pretty healthy eater. And he, he was like, how could orange juice be bad for you? Mm -hmm. Right. People, it's hard to get around. Like it's a fruit. I don't understand. Exactly. And it is natural and it can be organic. And it, it's it's straight from Mother Nature. There's no doubt about that. Not the orange juice, but the orange itself off the tree. But that, you know, so that doesn't make it OK. And I, I one of my little funny things I tell patients is, is, you know, rat poop is organic. <laughs> right. But that doesn't mean you should eat it. That doesn't make it OK. It's still probably not great for you. Probably better than the orange juice, but still probably not great. But yeah, you just can't, and, and especially for parents who have kids, it's really hard for them to get off the fruit train because it just... Yes, because there's the Capri Suns right. and there's the OJ every morning, or hey, you want an apple juice box? And it's like you're just blasting and dosing your children with like insulin spikes. Exactly. But that's been programmed into our brain for ever since there's been television. There's been orange juice commercials and little kids drinking OJ. That's just and so it's li it's literally been propagandized into our brain, and so it's really hard to break that cycle because it feels very very socially awkward and un unacceptable to not let your kids have fruit. Yeah, it's a, that is a tough one because again, you know, but you 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 get you know when I say is you are the masters of the house. You get to choose that at a certain age. They can't go buy their own food. They can't. That's right. So you know when they're at when they're at Joey's house, let them have a glucose honey blowout, right? But but if he's going to come back home, you got to get clean. That's right, and that brings us to uh, the uh, they go hand in hand in my mind, and that's intermittent fasting. Because then when parents say, but if I don't feed my kid, then my kid won't, won't eat. And then my kid will not have eaten. You understand? And like, you know, they're trying to say the, the S word, but not say it out loud. Like, I don't <laughs> want to starve my kid. 
And I'm like, yeah, so let's talk about intermittent fasting now because human beings, including human children, very young human children, have been fasting for thousands and thousands of years. And it's not bad for them. It's actually good for them. So when little Johnny just puffs up and is not going to eat anything if he can't have mac and cheese, then let him have nothing. It's fine. It's actually good for him. Little Johnny won't suffer. He'll actually prosper from that, and he'll learn a lesson, and all will be happier because of it. That runs right into the whole, you finish everything on your plate, or you're going to stay here at the dinner table all night, right? (laughs) (laughs) What the F? Like, that's got to end, right? So it's also, too, there's some social, I know I know kids that grew up, like, with that kind of thing. Like, there's kids starving in Africa, eat your food, you know? And so, right, oh, right. that goes right into what we're talking about here. And I actually grew up in a household where you weren't forced to clean your plate, but it was just, you were in, you, it was almost a rite of passage, passage to become a man that you ate like a man, You understand what I'm saying? And so you didn't just have one plate full of food. You had two plates full of food and then three helpings of dessert because and then everybody was proud and they're like, boy, he can eat. He can eat like a horse. You know, and it's just that that whole uh, the social model that you grow up in just trains you to think that's what you should Bragging rights, like my sons can put away half a bison. Right. (laughs) Yeah, You should see this boy eat. Yeah, exactly. That's a that's something that a one parent would brag to another parent, and then the parent of the picky kid would be like, "Yeah, he never eats anything," and they would just be mortified to even have to say that out loud. But actually, in the long run, I would have been much better off had I been that 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 picky kid who didn't eat much and who who just you know didn't have to feel like he had to clean his plate three times to make everybody proud of him because I've paid for that. Or eat when they're hungry and not have it be like, well, it's not dinner time yet. Because we know that that gets a little bit uh, fluid when you go paleo primal and keto, you know. I mean, sometimes I have to tell people like, "Hey, listen, I just uh, I can work it another night, but tonight I I just can't eat at six thirty. Like, I'll meet you, I'll hang out, but I'm not going to eat with you. It's too late for me." And that uh, you know how that feels. I mean, that can be really. Uh, it can feel very blunt to other people. Like they'll they'll take offense to that. Like, yeah. oh, I thought we were. Oh, totally. Yeah, we must not be on good terms. Or they'll be like, really? It's too early. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, did I do something to offend you? I mean, everything's okay, right? I've had those questions. I'm like, no, it's fine. I'm just fasting today. I'm not eating today. But I'll yeah, I'll definitely come and have some water with some you know some sea salt in it, and I'll hang out with you. But I'm not going to eat. So don't be offended by that. But it, it still, it, it hits that, that heart chord, you know, the, like the, the home and hearth. You, we, we, we sit together and we break bread. But yeah, but I'm not going to do that. And I'm not sure that anyone who was wandering the earth back in hunter-gatherer days waited for, you know, over there to like, they ate the thing when they got it. <laughs> you know, like. They did. They did. Yeah. The three meals a day is an absolutely contrived uh, social norm that started back in the, in the early part of the last century. And, and before that, for a long time, uh, breakfast was frowned upon. You only ate two meals a day back in England. And so it, then if you, if you were hungry in the morning, you would sneak around and you would get a little cheese or you'd have a little breakfast, but you didn't, you never had breakfast as a group, as a family, because it was frowned upon because it was, it was gluttonous if you had to eat three times a day. So you would only eat twice a day in public but, you know, some people might have a little something for breakfast. But then in America, when we started having the advertising 
and we had Florida with its oranges and, and, you know, Wisconsin with its cheese and everybody with their bacon. We had to do something with all that food. And so we just basically said, Hey, let's have, let's have breakfast. But you're absolutely right. The three dis- discrete meals of the day, I don't think that happened at all before probably the, the seven, the 16, 1700s. Yeah. What, let's talk about intermittent fasting. I mean, what, what kind what do you, wisdom do you want to impart about how to maybe start just getting on the train? You know what I mean? Everyone, anyone can look up paleo primal. We don't even listen to a hundred podcasts here about that. Right. But if someone's thinking about this and they're like, all right, I'm going to go investigate the, the cleaning up of the types of foods I eat. How do I start to move in this direction? So first thing, let me say everything you've ever been taught about eating, about not eating, about skipping meals, all that's wrong. So forget all of that. You have to go back to our ancestral origins and realize that fasting, which is not eating, that's all that means, is just something that human beings have done for millennia. And so we, we might have plenty of food. We found that honey tree, and then we found this, this nest of duck eggs. But then we wouldn't find anything else to speak of for three days. And so people think, oh, that's, you know, if you don't, if you don't eat every four hours, your blood sugar will drop, and you'll start passing out. So take that, take that, what you just, if you believe that, take that back in time, 10,000 years. How many days would you have survived? You would have died on day two. And so obviously we didn't die because we're all the product of, of thousands of successful reproductions or we wouldn't be here. Right. And so our our ancestors thrived with fasting. And so if. Yeah. And tell us what happened. So that three days went by. We just hit a honey patch. Then we had the duck heads. Now there's nothing. Now it's the third day. Tell us what's happening then now in the body. How are we living? So there, <laughs> there's really I want I want if anybody says the, the term starvation mode, I want you to just roll your eyes and walk away and don't listen to anything else they have to say, because that's really not a helpful term. What happens is, is your body doesn't get worse. It gets better. And so that second day and that third day, your body starts to digest fat off your booty and off your belly. And God forbid, if you've got it out of your liver, which is actually a very, very good thing. You, you don't want any fat in your liver. And if you eat, if you found too many honey trees, you might have a little fat in your liver. And so that second and third day, your body just it knows exactly what to do. This is not foreign to it. It just starts burning the fat that's on your butt on your belly and and around your internal organs. It starts to burn that fat. And when all that fat is burned up, that that will take days to burn that up, right? And so before that ever happens, you've probably found your next meal. But your your human growth hormone levels are increasing. Your testosterone levels are increasing. Your body's not getting weaker. Your body's actually— It's repairing. It's repairing, and it's making itself stronger because it realizes, hey, I haven't eaten in two days— I must be kind of sucking right now, so I need to I need to batten the hatches and mend the sails and and figure out why you know and and try to maximize everything so we can have a successful hunt. Now, obviously, if you if you're starving for weeks and weeks and weeks, yeah, you're going to start to go down and you're going to die. But for two, three, four, five days, you only get better. You only you I mean, literally uh, a, a a a thing called autophagy sits in, uh, but somewhere between 18 and 36 hours in, and you start to, if you've got cells that are damaged, your body just starts to digest them and and break them apart and use them for other stuff. If you've got precancerous cells, your body just digests them, breaks them down and uses the parts for something else. So it just cured that, that cancer that was about to form. 
you just cured it by fasting. Like that happened. That can totally happen. That's a thing. Yeah, that is a thing. And you know, people write, write, have written many books about this and the benefits with cancer. And uh, one of the things I thought was crazy, and I try to explain to people, and I know this is a base, very, you know, layman's way of kind of, but I, I tell people to make this point about glucose. I'm like, when they're trying to find, like if, if you gone through chemo and they're trying to find cancer in your body somewhere, they, they inject you essentially with glucose yes, yes, to light yes. up the cancer cells. I mean, yes. that says a lot, Ken, right? Mm. Yeah, that's good. Let's talk about that for a second. So PET scans, if we suspect you of having cancer, or we know you do, and we're just trying to see where it's at, or if it's metastasized, how many different places it is, we'll do something called a PET scan, which uses uh, positrons. And so we have to put a dye in your system so that the scanner can pick that up in your body. And what, we want, what we're looking for is cancer, right? And so we have to tag the dye with something that cancer loves. And you know what we tag it with? Sugar. A sugar molecule, that's what we attach the dye to so that the cancer will immediately take the dye up because it's after the sugar, because cancer loves sugar. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. And a lot of doctors, when you say something like that, they'll wrinkle up their nose and say, oh, it's much more complicated than that. And it is more complicated than that. But the bottom line is a cancer cell uses 20 times more sugar, 10 to 20 times more sugar than the average human cell. I mean, if if glucose is the damn leech bait you're putting on the end of the hook to go catch some cancer, that should say so much about everything that everyone listening needs to go and investigate, not only just their glucose consumption, because it's not necessarily about sugar, because people, again, will just do a side note here on, uh, but I don't eat sugar. Would you eat chips? Do you eat bread? Do you eat carbs? It doesn't matter. You could overeat potatoes. That It's glucose is glucose, right? So it, it, carbs are carbs. Um, some are better than others, obviously. So I I just, that should get everyone interested in this topic. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because, you know, Mark Mark talks about that, Mark Sisson, where he, this concept lately, you know, just discussing it on podcasts about, yeah, all the good stuff's happening. You're getting better when you're in that S mode that everybody, you know what I mean? Right, that. Right. But when you are, when you're fasting, you know, and you're or just not eating. And um, one of the things, and I'd love to hear your personal experience because the, like, you feel the fat burning when you're keto. Mm -hmm. Like it's weird. Like the, the, the feel and that feeling is great. And it sounds really gross and weird. No, it's a strange way to put that. Do you know what I'm saying? You feel like, you know what it is? Cause you feel your muscles, like the pro this protein sparing, you feel the muscles kind of come through, you feel stronger. And like the fat burning, that feeling is awesome. Exactly. It is awesome. And, it, and the, the energy you get from being ketogenic is not like the energy you get from caffeine. You're not, it's not a jittery, jumpy high. It's not like nicotine. It's not like anything else. It's just a calm, clear uh, abundance of energy. And it, that's, because, that's how, another way people know that the, they're in ketosis is because they haven't had any coffee. They, they, you know, they haven't had any stimulants, but yet they're wide awake, they're alert, their brain is spot on, they're, they're running 100 miles an hour, but not in a bad, jittery way in a productive way. Right. Not in an adrenal blasting. Right. Right. Kind of way. Um, no, that sustained energy and focus is amazing. And let's then, I'd love to hear, you know, let's go into the brain for a minute, right? So, you know, dead, dead Alzheimer's being considered type three diabetes. And, exactly. and we don't have to talk about specifically Alzheimer's, but, you know, I did just listen to on Keto FX uh, Summit, JJ Virgin talking about her son who had a traumatic brain injury, TBI. And, 
they did a whole bunch of stuff. And of course, she called in the troops and everybody she knew in the podcasting author world, you know, to help out with suggestions. And one of the things um, was to go keto right away. Mm -hmm. Because apparently, and again, I won't do it justice. So I apologize here. But whatever brain injury he had, and maybe I think it's perhaps consistent with brain injuries, where there's a moment where the the brain can't actually use glucose. Mm-hmm. Like it can't, so you can only do keto. Like you have, like you have to if you want to heal the brain. And so, can you talk a little bit about you know? I mean, not necessarily traumatic brain injuries, unless you have some you know knowledge there. But I just thought that was an interesting connection for that ailment, for just brain stuff, Alzheimer's, TBI, right? So there are a couple of different ways of looking at uh, Alzheimer's being diabetes of the brain or type three diabetes. And uh, another disease that many, many women suffer from is polycystic ovarian syndrome. And that's basically just ovarian diabetes. I mean, that's, that's exactly the right paradigm of how to think about that in order to fix it. But there are many people who believe that as you get older, your brain just doesn't burn glucose as effectively and and there are obviously other things going on with Alzheimer's and other types of dementia, but one of the things that absolutely could be happening is, is that your brain is literally starving to death because you're eating this whole grain high-carb diet that the doctor told you to eat, and your brain can't burn the glucose anymore. And so I've had many patients who are beginning to become demented, either with Alzheimer's or just senile dementia who when they start a ketogenic diet, it gets better. And I'm not saying it cures it because I think a lot of the damage is already done and probably some of it's permanent. But the the memory gets better. The forgetfulness gets better. They, they're they able to drive again. They're able to mow the yard again. They're able to do all these That's things right. again. They light, up. they light up a little bit. They yeah. light up a little bit. And in, in, in the South, we would say, oh, he's home again, right? Like, he's, <laughs> you know, he's home. Oh, oh, there he is. Okay, he was gone, but now he's back. And so... And that's I see that very often, and I think in large part that's because the brain's now able to burn this new fuel, the the ketones, and it doesn't have to depend on the glucose, which it's having trouble burning. Okay, so let's get into what your personal like what your personal experience is when you first kind of dipped into it. Um, did you stay for an extended period of time in it, and then what would that what was that like? Or you know, I'm sure you've kind of experimented with it. I'd love to hear. Oh, I have. Personal. Yeah. And so for a while, I was all about being in ketosis as a as a concept, and so I would check the urine sticks, and I did all that for a few weeks. But I, I my ADD quickly made me tire of that, and so I basically I, what I do now is I eat a ketogenic diet, and I'm not checking constantly or checking ever to see if I'm actually in ketosis because I don't know if I believe that that truly truly matters. I agree with I you. I don't know if I don't know if that really matters. Now, I think that the more ketotic you are, probably the faster the weight loss is. I think that's probably true, but it's just uh, when you're kind of where you want to be and you're hanging out and trying to stay healthy and and maintain, I think that just eating a ketogenic diet is enough. I don't think you have to worry about the macros and have you have to worry about your urine ketones or your serum ketones. I think all that stuff is fun for a, a subset of people who like that sort of thing, but I don't think that's necessary for just mere mortals who want to lose 50 pounds and keep it off for the rest of their life. Absolutely. And that's something that's, um, you know, discussed a lot about tracking macros or testing ketones and, you know, just the, uh, without getting into too advanced discussion or we could, but that idea of, listen, if you're not efficient and you haven't built the machinery to actually be efficient at burning them, 
and your mitochondria is not up to par, then it doesn't really matter what you're peeing out or what the blood, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, and that obsession too. Now, again, there might be an appropriate time for those obsessions with certain ailments. Um, exactly but right. at the end of the day, I'm, I'm with you on that. It's like, just experience the feeling, you know, and, and, and that's what I like about Mark and Brad's book is making sure that you're like kind of past the test before you even go keto. Right. You know, cause, cause that test and, and asking you those questions about how you're feeling and did you, did you have no breakfast this morning or were you fine? Did you have any mental lapses? All of those kind of questionnaire things will lead someone to go, all right, maybe I'm not ready yet to mm-hmm. get there mm-hmm. or go that low. Um, and so that's important because let's talk about the, the pitfalls and failures, you know, when people jump right at, you can't go without a, I mean, it's, it can be tough for a couple of weeks and people would give up and have some side effects that are not fun from just jumping right in here, unless you have to, for a medical reason. Right. But it, to take it slow into it, yeah. right. Because then people just give up and throw their hands up and you're like, dude, you can't go from drinking 10 beers a night and be, th- <laughs> you know, pushing three bills and, and the standard American diet and Dunkin' Donuts to then all of a sudden you're keto the next day and thinking like that's going to be work out for you. Right. And I think most people who come from a paleo past are already at least marginally keto adapted. And so it's easy for them. Like I, I didn't I never had any keto flu or anything that I could even say that that's what that was. Yep. And I have I mean, I've had lots of patients who didn't have any of that at all. But then I have a few patients who really do have a bad case of the keto or the, you know, the, the ketone flu. And it's just because they were used to eating a super high carb, super low fat diet for years and years and years. And so their gut bacteria are not ready for this. Their their mitochondria are not ready for this. Their brain is not ready for this. And so it's going to suck for a week or two or three. Absolutely. And uh, usually the answer for the ketogenic flu is more water, more salt, and more fat. That's what gets most people through it. Yep. And that's a very simple recipe. And, and for, you know, for, for every single doctor who doesn't know what we're talking about, they just did a double take when I said that. But, yeah, more, fa- more fat and more salt. The extra sodium is a thing. The salt is a thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it needs to be a good unprocessed sea salt. But you, you need more salt. Because when you're eating that that whole grain, high carb diet, your entire body is inflamed. Your gut's inflamed. Your your the lining around your heart, the lining around your everything's inflamed. And when you start to eat ketogenic, it is one of the most anti-inflammatory diets I've ever seen. And you start to the the swelling and the inflammation starts to go away. And you've probably seen this in in friends' faces. When they go ketogenic, they, they have cheekbones again. It's like, whoa, you have cheekbones. I've never seen those before. And that's because the swelling in their face. They haven't lost that much weight that fast. That was just the inflammation and edema that was going away. And when you lose that edema and the inflammation, the fluid has to go somewhere. So you pee it out. And when you pee that fluid out, salt follows it. And so, therefore, you can wind up salt deficient on the ketogenic diet if you're not looking out for that. And that's why more salt and more fat and more water is usually the answer to the keto flu. Right. You know, on the note of the ketogenic diet being anti-inflammatory, just linked into, yeah, okay, so almost every single disease that's out there... Is inflammatory. And right, is rooted in inflammation. So, hello, life, this is for life. Yeah. This is... and Yes, and we always talk about the weight loss aspect of the ketogenic diet because, you know, there's an obesity epidemic, so everybody's overweight. And so that's what we should spend most of our time talking about. But I really feel like sometimes we don't give enough due 
to the other positive effects. Like I've had patients whose eczema went completely away. I've had patients whose psoriasis got so much better that they were able to stop taking the super expensive medication they were taking for it. I've had patients who just knew they had irritable bowel uh, disease or syndrome, and it just went away. Once the inflammation in their gut left, their gut worked perfectly. And, and basically, every organ system in the body, every tissue has got its own diseases that are caused by chronic inflammation. And that's what the ketogenic diet addresses. And that's why almost to, to some doctors, I'm sure they're, they're saying, oh, panacea, snake oil, because it fixes everything. No, it doesn't fix everything. But it does fix every inflammatory thing. Right. And, you know, earlier you were talking about, when we were talking about the type 2 diabetes epidemic and the obesity epidemic, um, and, and not to get too much on the thyroid thing, but so if you're having thyroid issues as a result of having or being in that state, right, then it can be somewhat correctable. I'm not, and I talk about this a lot. If you're suffering from hypothyroidism, do not go into keto and thinking that's going to figure hypothyroidism. That's it's actually a, a wrong way to go. But if you're at that state where you're pre-diabetic or headed in that direction, then likely you have a lot of problems, including probably subpar thyroid situation. And so it'll cl- it'll clean up that part of it too. If that's the only reason you have that issue, right? Um, so so yeah, so many different things and I get it, you know, it seems like, oh yeah, it's a cure-all, but it's really a state everyone should strive to experience in their life. And also, I guess I'd love to hear about some of your patients and people who've uh, gone from A to Z uh, by getting on this program. Yeah. And I've had multiple people lose amounts of weight that they never thought that they'd be able to lose. And I, I love that for them. And they're always, you know, bragging on Facebook about I've lost this much weight. And then everybody's like, how did you do that? And then there you go. The cat's out of the bag. But the, the really the things that I'm most interested in right now, other than turning the curve on on the obesity and the type two diabetes epidemics, is the other chronic conditions that people suffer from that they are sure are, are permanent. Like I've got this for life. I have, I have eczema, I have rosacea. I have that for life. And just as bad, this severe rosacea that, that I look like somebody slapped my face 24 seven. I have that for the rest of my life. No, no, you don't. You don't have that for the rest of your life. You don't have to have that. You don't have to have terribly uncontrolled hypothyroidism for the rest of your life. I, like you, I'm not saying that the ketogenic diet will cure your hypothyroidism, but I've seen people have to decrease their medicine multiple times because it just makes, it makes things better. I'm one of them. And you know, I, I kind of coined the phrase T3 efficiency. Mm-hmm. You get more T3 efficient. I've, I've knocked my T3 down to levels that are stupid. Half my thyroid has to be working. I'm on 12.5 micrograms a day. That's it. Exactly. So, um, you know, it's really interesting. And I was once on a hundred, <laughs> so I'm just to do a comparison. Um, but as you clean up the body, as you become metabolically efficient and then go in this direction and everything starts to deflame, you become efficient at everything, including not and getting off medications for things you didn't need anymore, whether it's phregma, et cetera, and the, the chronic disease thing. And I agree with you. Weight loss is great, but the way you feel and think and your longevity and anti-aging. Let's talk about some anti-aging because of the level of glycation yeah. uh, that happens with a carbohydrate-dependent diet. So I want to ask you or want you to touch on that. Um, and also, you know, I, I was just interviewed today about the thyroid book, and one of the things I talked about was how 
freaking accelerated aging it was when I was a insulin resistant, mm-hmm. untreated hypothyroid mm-hmm. mess. Holy crap. Absolutely. I mean, I can't even believe I was like, I am getting so old. I mean, in every way, but the way <laughs> my skin, the, my and I look so much younger. So let's talk about the aging. So the way we check your blood sugar, like over a three month average is we check something called a hemoglobin A1C which is basically glycated hemoglobin. And so when you're eating carbs and starches and sugars, you actually glycate your hemoglobin molecule, and that's how we check your A1C. And mine was 5.7. Yeah, and so 5.7 or below is considered normal. I like it to be even way lower than that. And I think that probably the as years go by and the research is done, we will find that all-cause mortality, all-cause morbidity, and, and aging itself goes hand-in-hand hand with a linear curve with your hemoglobin A1C. And that's why I think it's such, a, a, such an important test for people to know what their number is. Because back, remember last time we talked, I told you I used to be a, that fat-ass doctor that had to go into the room and tell people to lose weight. <laughs> and my, my A1C got up to like 5.9. Yeah, and you know, I've heard 5.2 and below, at least I know Dr. Forsman one time expressed it on our podcast. He's like, no matter, they keep switching around the numbers because this is all a they BS do. game for the industry that's selling the stuff that you need if you have that problem. But he was saying yes. really 5.2 and below is what you should be kind of aiming for. Oh, yeah. 5.2 and below is ideal. And for, for my mere mortal patients, I tell them five, five or below, and you're doing so much better than you used to be when you had a 7.9. We're not going to fuss about 5.5 to 5.3. I'm not even going to care about that. Because diabetes is kind of 6.0 and above, or like it's that's headed really right yeah, in that direction. Exactly right. And so if you're above six, and, and so, but that's the thing is you're like, People think, oh, well, I've got a diagnosis. I have diabetes. But what they don't understand is if you're, glyco- if you're glycating your hemoglobin molecule in your red blood cells enough that I can check that and use that to monitor your diabetes. You're also glycating everything else. The the heart, your muscles, right? Everything else, every other tissue, the heart, the eye, the cornea, your, your, you know, your erectile tissue in various places. And so you're basically destroying every tissue in your body when your A1C is above five, 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 six, five, seven, somewhere in there. You are, and, and the higher it is, the faster you're destroying the tissue. And so if, if you get it down, then that's good. You know, a, a 7.5 is much better than a 9, but you're still destroying that tissue and you're aging so much faster than you would have to be otherwise. It's just so fascinating and you can really see it. You know, I'm sure you see it yeah. in your own looking at pictures, looking oh, at, you know, yeah. before and afters of yourself. Um, I love that you were once a, I love that you were once a fat ass doctor. Can we just laugh about that for a minute? Yeah, I was, I really was. <laughs> I've had, I've had patients come back to the office who I thought were new patients. I did not recognize them at all. And not just because they'd lost, you know, 50, 60, 70 pounds, but because their face was so much different. They literally looked like a different person because all the inflammation was gone out of their face. They weren't puffy. Their eyes weren't slits that they, they had to, you know, peek through. They actually had eyes and I could see the color of their eyes. And they had cheekbones and they had, you know, and the the smile came to their lips so much easier than it did when I saw them a year and a half ago or whenever. And that's the kind of stuff that that keeps a doctor happy and keeps a doctor motivated. Absolutely. And, you know, sort of in closing in the last, you know, 10 or so minutes here, I want to get into um, 
you know, we've got to expose some stuff. So let's talk like, for example, in my book, I remember, you know, there's a, (laughs) I saw a poster in a doctor's office uh, from the Pacific Diabetes uh, Foundation or organization. And it was suggesting a diabetes making diet, which is the standard American diet, which was six to 11 servings of grains a day, plus two to four servings of fruit. And we all know that story. Um, So if the diabetes foundations are suggesting diabetes making diets, okay, what are some other things we need to look out for? Because the American Heart Association's got some stuff. I know the the Association for Endocrinologists is all jacked up with what they're dispensing. What are some things that we, and again, we don't need to go through like, you know, the entire story, but things that we need to be look out for as, as patients and people in this world and, and look into a little bit more before we just kind of believe maybe one of these suggestions that we're getting from these associations. I think a great little mental exercise that I use all the time really would helps with that. And it immediately dispels modern bullcrap because when, when the, the American Diabetic Association says you need to eat six to 10 servings of whole grains a day, Go back in time, 30,000 years. Go back in time, 100,000 years. Did your ancestors, who were very successful, they procreated. The reason you're sitting where you're sitting right now is because every single generation of your ancestors was successful. Now, how could they be successful if they were eating every once a day, every other day, every third day, and they their entire life they ate zero servings of whole grain their entire life? Right. They or how could they be sense. successful if, 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 if you're not like, if, if you're not doing well, you're that overweight, obese, diabetic person. It's like, right. How am I? Yeah. I, I am their I am their genetics, but I was a fat ass until I said, wait a minute, what the heck? So I said, I had to act like they acted. I had to eat like they ate. And that's a ketogenic slash ancestral slash paleo. That's what they ate every single day for their entire life. And so when the American Heart Association, Association comes out and tells you, oh, you shouldn't eat saturated fat. And then you think, but back then that was the first thing they ate from every kill. And and, in, and it's 50% of breast That's milk. That's stupid, isn't it? obviously. That's dumb. That's right. Breast milk, human breast milk is about 50% fat. Whereas, you know, cow milk and other milks are not nearly that much fat. But yeah, you're exactly right. Human beings need lots of fat. So and not so only anytime, do they go right to it when they had a kill, they went right to it when they like are out of the womb. Like, hello. That's fat. exactly right. Straight <laughs> to the straight to the fatty boob milk. But when, anytime a professional organization tells you you need to do something that is contrary to how our ancestors ate thousands of years ago, that's a red flag. Now, if they're telling you, hey, you need to take a bath and wash your hands and wipe your butt, yeah, you probably need to do that stuff. That's that's why we don't have infections. Right. At we the did rate learn some good lessons then. from them, too. They made some dumb mistakes we learned from. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly. But when it comes to what they ate, they had, their body, we, our body's adapted to what we ate. And then also back to the germs. I mean, we don't need to be too clean. That's also a problem in and of itself. And that's another thing that, you know, when they're trying to sell you the antimicrobial stuff to clean your countertop with, that's not okay. That's not okay. We grew up in dirt, in germs. We lived in filth. We're okay. We, we're used to that. We're good at that. But if you get things too clean, we start to suffer with autoimmune diseases. If you take all the fat out of our diet, then we start to get fat and we start to suffer with autoimmune diseases. Anytime your body starts to attack another part of your body, you've really got your body mixed, mixed up with what you're feeding it. And so a great rule of thumb is, is if any time the ADA, the AHA, or if you're in another country, your, your professional organization 
if they're telling you to eat something that your ancestors of 10,000 years ago would not have even had to eat, then that's, that's bullcrap. Don't listen to that. Think about that. Think, wait a minute. Let me look that up. Let me think about this. Let me study about this. Don't ever blindly take what that organization tells you again if they tell you something that's completely contrary to what your ancestors did. Right. No, that's a good rule of thumb. Um, you do have, uh, like you mentioned earlier, and let's get into it. Of course, we will put all of the sh- in the show notes all of the ways to contact you. But you you have a lot of you know videos and tell us how people can get to know you and learn from you because you you do offer a lot of free great information to the public. Yeah, in my clinic, I can help thirty, forty, fifty people a day. But on YouTube, I can help thousands of people, and that really makes me happy. So I've got a YouTube page, and I try to post two to five videos a week. Uh, and everybody tells me to slow down. I'm going to run out of info, but I don't think so. We'll see. But but it's uh, just Kendi- <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Kendi Berry, MD, all one word. And you can just uh, search for Dr. Ken Berry on, on YouTube. I think I'm the number one now. Excellent. And then I have a Facebook page where I do a lot of work and you can just search for me on Facebook. I think I pop up pretty close to the top. And then, of course, the book on Amazon is doing pretty well, and and I think that really helps people. It's not so much keto as it is just kind of waking you up to all the stupidity that you've been brainwashed into believing over your the the last 30 years of your adult life. And And once you're awake to those lies, which is what I call them in the book, then you're able to see other lies. Right. Once you say, well, wait a minute, they, that's a flat out lie. That's not even true. And there's research that shows it's not true. But yet doctors still say that. And once that cat's out of the bag and you're like, huh, then you start taking everything you hear with a grain of salt and, and with a, just a little bit of skepticism. You're like, OK, doc, I'll, I'll listen to you and I heard you, but I'm going to go research that a little bit. And if a doctor's offended by that, then you might need to find a new doctor. But if you've got a doctor who's okay with your skepticism and okay with your researching and learning for yourself, then you've probably got a good doctor. But that's that's what the book's about is is wake up. Don't just the, the, your doctor is not your daddy. Okay, you don't have to listen to what he says blindly. Think about what he told you. Think about what he recommended. Think about what he prescribed. Do you really want to do that or not? That's your option. You get to make that choice. Right. No, we do. We do need to just exercise more of our, of our gut feelings about things. Yes. And um, instead and of use just... your brain, for God's sake, use your brain, Google stuff and learn about it yourself. The average person can become as smart as the average doctor about hypothyroidism from two hours of reading on Stop the Thyroid Madness or by reading yep. Hale's book. You could literally be smarter than the average doctor about hypothyroidism by reading the Paleothyroid Solution. I mean, who wouldn't want that power? Who wouldn't want that? Like, boom. I <laughs> Thank you. And I'm glad you mentioned Stop the Thyroid Madness because that is really one of the best yeah, websites website. for thyroid health. And uh, yeah, you're right. And again, you know, you got to do, of course, you know, varied research. If one doctor tells me they've got to remove my gallbladder, I'll probably go to two more just to double check mm-hmm. that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. don't do just one Google search, do a few of them. And also, you know, in the free podcasting world, so many people talking about this. Um, in in closing, I guess, what would you really like to leave with our audience regarding keto or intermittent fasting and, and this topic we've been chatting about? I want people to understand that these are not fads. These are not new things. Although they feel new to us, they're new words in our mouths. These things are as old as time itself. People have been fasting on purpose and uh, against their will 
for hundreds of thousands of years. The human body has come to use it. We've done it so often that our body has learned how to use it as a tool, just like vitamin D. We were in the sun so much, our, our body learned to make a vitamin from sunlight. That's important. That, that means something. That means don't be afraid of the sun. Same way with fasting. Your body actually increases your human growth hormone and increases your testosterone levels when you fast. That should tell you something, that your body's using that as a tool. That's important. Listen to your body. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Ken Berry. In, uh, tell us exactly where in Tennessee, for the people that might be listening in your region who might want to drive to come see you. I'm in Camden, Tennessee. It's kind of between Jackson, Tennessee and Nashville, Tennessee, uh, just off the interstate there. I love it. So great to have a doctor like you in that part of the country. And um, thank you so much for joining us. We'd love to have you on our show. And uh, again, everyone can look up uh, Dr. Ken Berry's book, Lies My Doctor Told Me on Amazon. And we also will have all of the links to his YouTube videos, etc. in the show notes. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Al. Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here. And I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of primal health coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching, but have been held back by worries, such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching, and we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. The world needs primal health coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit primalhealthcoach.com and subscribe.